Sonic States. So, um, hello and welcome everybody to Sonic Talk number 92. Um, st- sort of limping our way towards a ton, I suppose. Yeah, we're going to be, th- I think we're going to be hitting that. It's going to be what? October-ish, isn't it? September, October-ish. I'll have to work it out. We'll have to try and have some sort of a party. Um, mm-hmm. uh, well, this week, uh, we're very much on this side of the Atlantic and the cool. channel. We've got in the studio... I don't get to say that very often. In the studio, I have Mr. Richard Evans. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Nice to be here. Who's uh, there on the mic. Um, I bumped into Rich um, oh, a couple of days ago. No, it was yesterday. Yesterday. Well, I was out filming something at Real World, which will be coming up on the site presently. But uh, um, And Rich was very happily available. Um, so what have you been up to, Rich? I've been in... Um, I started a record with a band. It's not a very catchy name. It's got to be said. It's called Balkanopolis. There's a mouthful. And he, he, it's a Serbian chap who plays bagpipes. And he's got, he writes these big orchestral arrangements, and it's his first album. And we're nearing the end of it now. And I've just been in Serbia, where he lives, recording. He, he wanted to record the vocals for the record in the uh, monastery that he goes to every Sunday, because he's a very religious chap. And he thought, uh, I thought it'd be a nice place to record like in, in an ECM style in a beautiful, beautiful sounding acoustic. And it really was a stunning acoustic. And we recorded some of the monks that lived at the monastery at the same time, who were stunning singers as well. So I had this old Serbian radio broadcast truck with a fantastic <laughs> Neve in it parked outside in uh, 90 degrees heat. Uh, and that's where I've been for the past couple of weeks, haven't it? And it's been really good fun. In a sweaty box. In a sweaty box. That's quite exotic. If only we, we, we knew, we'd have sent you, sent you a video camera. You could have I, filmed the inside of the broadcast vehicle. Yeah, I'm very sorry about <laughs> Never that. Never mind. Well, I'm um, jealous. Yeah, it sounds very good, very good fun, doesn't it? Uh, that was Mark Tinley, incidentally. MySpace.com forward slash Mark Tinley. Rich, have you got a URL? Do I have to say, can no, I plug I'm, anything? I'm kind of refusing to, right. to do that. My wife refuses to have a mobile phone and I refuse to have a website. I don't, I don't know why. <laughs> I think it's fine. Anyway, Mark, how are you? I'm very well, actually. Thank you. Good. It's sort of nice to feel a bit of heat. We've got a bit of, it's, but it's it's an oppressive kind of heat, isn't it? It's very, very. It feels like there's going to be a thunderstorm or something. I feel like I'm I wearing a rubber suit. I started mowing the lawn, but I just gave up. I got too sticky. Yeah, it is a bit. Not something you want to do just before a podcast, is it? So, um, yes, welcome, Mr. Mark Tinley, and uh, finally, we have Mr. Dave Spears, who is our other um, um, location recorder. Dave Hello. Spears from G4Software.com. Hmm. Indeed. How are you? I'm all right. Yeah. Jolly good. I'm recovering from a tennis match. Yeah. Do you, do you you'll ache, if you did it last night. You'll ache tomorrow. Today will be fine, but tomorrow you'll be. I did the same. Well, I'm not the same thing. I I um I've rather foolishly agreed to just tidy up something around a window in our kitchen, and um Jane took t- took my daughter out, and I thought oh, I'll just pull that bit off, and then. Pretty much all of the wall came off, and I suddenly realised I had to replaster it really sharpish. And I'm not really a plasterer, as is evidenced by the uh, the fact when you come round. <laughs> but I, I did actually replace the wall and everything. I'm quite pleased with myself. But it was it it was a fairly brutal <laughs> three three hour stint of kind of plastering, and I've never done that before. Really, I won't be doing it again. I don't think I'll be using it as a showcase for my uh, for my my other job. <laughs> did <laughs> you get it vaguely flat? Yeah, well, I got it smooth. Oh, right. Not flat, but smooth. Smooth and curvy. Yeah, smooth and curvy, that's right. So, you know, I guess it's all right. Anyway, it looks better than it did. Mm. (laughs) So, so anyway, shall we start? This is Sonic Talk number 92, going live on... Oh, that sounds good. It sounds like someone's testing alarm outside, but uh, you'll just have to live with that for a little while. Going live on the 24th of July. Um, Mr. Rich Hilton can't be with us this week um, because he's off on chic duties. I'm still trying to figure out whether I can go and see him play at the WOMAD Festival on Friday night. Uh, if anyone's there, you'll be able to see Rich in the audience. Maybe you can hold a placard saying, I listen to Sonic Talk. <laughs> the chances of anyone being in the audience who listens to Sonic Talk waving that at, sh- at Rich are, are, are slight, I realise, but why not? It'd be fun if he did see one. And um, PJ is um, can't be with us either because he's... He's finishing, putting the finishing touches on his new studio, which he's going to show us lots of photos of and tell us about when he's back with us. So anyway, um, let's let's get straight in there. Dave Spears, um, you were very productive this week. Um, you actually sent, um, did you send me the thing on the Wii 
controller, or did I find that somewhere else? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the Wii Motion Plus. It's a little sort of widget that sticks on the bottom of the handset. I'll just play you what it's capable of. The violin is a slightly more unique instrument. You hold the strings with your left, your left hand, press the buttons to sound the notes. And the bigness of the motion of your right hand adjusts the volume of those notes. Of course, guitar, you play like you would a real guitar. So, I'm sorry about the noise for the, of the sound of that. It was rather grim. It was from BBC um, video that uh, was taken at the E3 show in LA recently, where the Wii Nintendo announced this new gadget, which is the Motion Plus, Plus, which sits on the bottom of the Wii controller, and it's got some sort of gyroscopic device in it that kind of increases the resolution of its Wii-ness, the Wii remote thing, so that you can actually, they say, use it as a one-to-one gesture control. So, you know, you move your hand and the ratio of which it moves on the screen is as one. So it feels very, very realistic. Hence the rather appalling demo of uh, all those various musical instruments, which, which sounded dreadful, but the point of those was was the drums was a bloke basically playing air drums um, and tapping his feet on the Wii Fit pad, you know, for the for the foot pedals and, and just waving his hands around for, for drumming. And it was um, it's quite an impressive thing. And we just thought, is this the future? Obviously, forget about the sounds, because they were terrible, and they must improve those. Well, I was wondering what, quite what he meant by, and of course, the electric guitar you play just like a guitar. In what way is that like a guitar? Are you striking <laughs> strings and fretting with your left hand? No, you're not. What he means by that is you're throwing shapes like you're, a rock Like an does. air guitar, yeah. yeah exactly. That, well, that's true. It's not quite as, as perhaps uh, great-looking as holding the, rock, uh, the, the guitar hero, Doodah. Perhaps, but uh, you could, you can't really play drums on the guitar, do the hero doodar either. So perhaps um, that's the point. Has anyone played one? Because this, their marketing is just brilliant. As I was researching this, I was watching all this stuff, and there was a, I wrote an article about it on Friday. And um, as I was looking at all the videos of people doing these things, it was really compelling. So I realized that I am must be the, the person that they, or the type of person that they're aiming their marketing at. And all these sort of videos of people having lots of fun sort of waving their arms around and looking like they're actually kind of getting fit or whatever. It it, it seems to be working on people like me. And I'm I'm kind of a good ga- uh, gauge for this kind of thing because usually I'm very cynical. But now I'm thinking, oh, I wonder, maybe maybe I'll have fun with my daughter if we got one of these and we could play whatever, you know. Am I just being fooled or is that, have you actually played one? Anyone played with a Wii? Yeah, I've got a Wii. Have you? Yeah. Is it good? It's brilliant. Ah, I that, think- I, I'm so glad somebody has. No, I played one as well. tennis oh. with uh, Nipper. We played doubles against uh, various other sort of animated characters. I am officially a tennis pro. She's a bowling pro. And I was disappointed that she got a spangly ball when she got to pro level and I didn't get a spangly racket. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> How's your spin coming on? Uh, yeah, you can't do things like um, super spins or smashes, um, but it's pretty good at volleys. It's it's uh, the serving's just fantastic because you actually get to throw the controller in the air. I mean, obviously you've got to have it strapped to your wrist, and you can smash it. And if you put a little bit of spin on the top, it does a you, well. You can quite easily pull off an ace. That's why I was disappointed with my real tennis match because I actually had to run around. <laughs> <in real tennis. laughs> did you find? Did you find that as you've improved at Wii tennis, you've got worse at real tennis? Uh, yes. Oh, so it's yes, not probably. But also my, um, my spinning out condition didn't help in real tennis oh, no, at all. Of course, yeah, I can imagine you sort of... Which was quite hilarious serving. Anyway, but I also got the Wii Fit on the... In fact, my missus bought me the Wii for my birthday. Yes, my birthday. And she insisted that I bought the Wii Fit in order to kind of... Because she thought it would be an ideal solution. I can still kind of be in front of a screen and yet try and get fit. <laughs> Um, and that's pretty hilarious because, first of all, they cost an absolute fortune if you want to get one in the UK because I think everybody's after them at the minute. Right. But I suspect in about a month's time there's going to be about a million of them on eBay. That can't be. People realise, yeah, they're not really uh, – they're very good fun, but I don't think they're going to get you fit in a hurry. But do you reckon there'll be a day when, when you've got to do an overdub on a record you're working with and you'll reach 
for the Wii. You won't go for the keyboard. You won't go for the guitar. You'll go, what I need is my Wii controller. Do you think that's on its With way? Motion Plus. Yes, exactly. It's quite possible. I mean, I showed this to Chris, who's completely, you know, so not into video games. And uh, he just, first of all, said, what's the point? And secondly, he said, well, yeah, in five years' time, it might amount to something. I think that's the point, though. I mean, the, the, there's a load of discussions on the kind of hardcore gaming sites and all these people going, oh, this is bah, humbug, it's rubbish, it's nothing to us. But then the key point is the one-to-one motion control is actually a really, really big deal because that's something that's never really happened in terms of real, um, real gaming and kind of adventures and all that sort of stuff. That will make the simulation and your physical interactivity in, with anything much more immersive and realistic i think i think it can't because i think all musical instruments have some kind of feedback and these things have no feedback at all you know and and i think it's a, a huge part of playing a musical instrument is the way that the instrument uh, plays back at you the way that a string pulls back when you bend it the way that the, the body resonates the, all of these things it's absolutely essential for playing properly. And you're just waving your hands around in the air. In totally, there's, there's no fe- forced feedback of, of any kind. And so for me, I think it's a given. This can never be a musical instrument. I, I suppose that's true. I mean, I think if you're, t- but if you're talking in terms of maybe, you know, like your USB keyboard or, you know, something that's actually not particularly acoustic that is electronic in the first place then maybe it'll be useful for that kind of thing no well the, the reason keyboards are useful though is because you ha- you have um proper control of pitch well, but this is a theremin essentially so yes, there's no way of inputting accurate uh ac- there's no way of n- accurate note input without huge amounts of data that you don't really want flying so basically around. it could be a nice pair of maracas well uh, yeah i don't see any other use for it <laughs> mark have you got a wee I haven't got a Wii because I'm not hugely into games. Don't because know me I'm neither. A little bit dyspraxic, so it's pretty pointless for me to even try. But um, uh, my thoughts on it are that I don't think I'd buy one for music because if I buy a guitar or a keyboard-based instrument and I learn that, that uh, motor skill that I'm going to learn. Uh, is going to be useful on a variety of other things. In other words, electric guitars are going to be around for many years to come. That's a pretty much proven interface that's here, and it's with us, right? Yeah. If I learn some motor skills on a Wii, which are going to be useful for music making, and in you know two years' time they bring out Wii 2 or Wii 3 or whatever, um then you know those motor skills may not be useful on that next interface because they're bound to improve the gyroscope and everything else, and it's mm. bound to feel completely different. So Maybe they'll I, be tunable. I, just, I, I don't know. I only want to learn things that have some longevity, and I don't... I mean, you know, if they're still here in five years' time and they're doing something really incredible, then then I'll learn it. That's, then. A, good, that's a good point, because I suppose that's the way I feel about computer games, because I think what is the point in investing all that time in getting to the next level? You know, it's like I've got to learn all these moves, and if I, I just, it, it feels like wasted time. And I suppose that's at least this might, you know, you might, I might feel like I'm getting something, getting some fun out of it because I'm leaping about. I don't know. I mean, I don't think from a musical context. One thing that was worth noting about the Wii is it, it's always been considered much cheaper than the place PS3 and the Xbox Two, or you know, the latest, you know, the big big daddies of all the gaming consoles but because it's designed really to work in a sort of living room environment rather than a network environment one would you know if you had a large family you'd buy four sets of controllers you know so you could all sit there and jump around and once you add that to the package it's actually more expensive but but that's where why i think it's been so successful because it's a social thing at that point and right. and that's why i think the wii is fantastic because it lets it brings the whole family together uh, again instead of forcing you just to uh, do that, something that, on your that's own. That's in your experience, you've definitely found... Absolutely. At Christmas, when we bought one, everybody was in there, and everybody came around, five, five people playing playing a game. And that's why uh, the only advantage I see of this musical thing is is that it turns music into a social thing again, rather than, uh, you know, switching on... Parlour games. Yes, parlor, exactly. <laughs> Yes, no, fair enough. So anyway, um, the, we don't know when it's coming out. I think they're going to package it with Wii Sports... Um, and you'll be able to buy it as an add-on. I think there have been various prices mooted, 30 bucks, whatever, you know, I'm not sure, to be perfectly honest, but it's supposed to be amazing if you read the hype. 
if you read the naysayers, they say, nah, bah, humbug. But um, I guess, Dave and, and Rich, you've got them, so you might get hold of one and, um, and tell us what they're like when they finally do get there. I will. And I think now, actually, I'm almost <laughs> still got time. The shops are open. If we finish early, I might nip out and get one if you can still get one. <laughs> I am tempted, but I just, I, my daughter's only four and a half. She'll love it. It's I know, but I'm I don't, sort of not sure whether I want her to get into that just yet. Well, I, I, my son has an addictive nature when it comes to computer games. And with the Wii, because it's more of a physical activity, he doesn't do that thing of just completely getting hypnotised by it and sitting there on his own. He, he plays it for a bit, puts it down, just like you would if you're a kicking normal a football game. Or exactly, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Very smart people at Nintendo, though. Sonic Talk. Sponsored by Yamaha Music Production. Producers of the world's most popular digital mixing consoles. Accurate professional studio monitoring systems. Incredibly realistic and portable digital stage pianos. The versatile motif range of music production synthesizers. And the latest N-Series digital mixing studios. Featuring the cleanest signal pump and full Cubase AI4 integration www.yamahasynth.com Sonic Talk. This is the next one from you, Dave. Uh, and this was um, pretty amazing. Let me just grab it. Would you please welcome 12-year-old Tony Royster Jr. Alright, um, what I'm about to do right now is play a drum solo for you. And in doing this drum solo, I would like to dedicate it in memory of the late, great Tony Williams. drum solos eh whatever happened to those (laughs) well there's one for a start when you sent me this dave um i Hmm. thought that this was um a current 12 year old child but actually he's now tony royston is now 21 Mm. and um this was from an old um sort of you know american uh variety Mm. type show he's now endorsed by um sabian drums drum workshop vic firth evans heads and uh, et cetera, et cetera. But um, he was pretty good, actually. And he said, <laughs> <laughs> wasn't he? And his drums sounded lovely. I thought they sounded great. I, I, was no, I, I thought he really sounded like Billy Cobham. I don't know if you remember Billy Cobham in, when he used to play for Frank Zappa and when, when drum solos used to make it onto records and live tapes and stuff like that. He sounded very much like him and he lists him as one, as his, one of his um, influences. Mm. So... It was there. I've done a few records with Billy Cobham. Have you? I, it's ridiculous. He, uh, recording a drummer with three bass drums, five snare drums, and 15 tom-toms. It's just impossible trying to get a good, good sound. And he doesn't like to play a straight rhythm. He just likes to go... <laughs> for, for 10 minutes, and then he stops. <laughs> Drives me mad. Just play a rhythm. Go boof, baff, boof, baff. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. I mean, I suppose if you've got that many drums and that, I mean, micing it up. I mean, there must be only very few studios in the world that have enough microphones to accommodate Billy Cobham and any other musicians. And no, I'm being unfair. But he did have a little tiny drum kit as well with four drums on it, and that sounded fantastic. Dave, you're a drummer. Come on. Yeah, well, I I mean, yes. Uh, I was sent this by another drummer, actually, um, a very good drummer, and we both decided that, A, he probably would stand no chance of being in a band because uh, most other players would just be going, for Christ's sake, keep it simple. (laughs) (laughs) What do you do if a drummer comes up to an audition with a drum kit that massive? I mean, you just think, oh, no, next! (laughs) Probably, probably, yeah. But we both kind of talked about killing ourselves, having seen him as a 12-year-old, because we're both kind of a bit Tony Williams fans, and uh, he was pretty exemplary, wasn't he? Well, he was. I mean, the thing was, it wasn't just, I mean, it was, it was very, I mean, you know, it's very accomplished, but it seemed to, when you watch the ease with which he did it, it was so natural and flowing and actually quite, 
quite kind of groovy and dynamic. You know, it wasn't just for someone of that age, it was quite sort of intelligently put together, if, you know, that's your bag. But I mean, it sounds like he, there's probably a drummer who could just play a good disco beat in there somewhere and a couple of tasteful fills. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'd have to kind of chain him down. Maybe you could maybe just. That's, maybe that's it, though. <clears throat> maybe his parents chained him to that drum kit for 12 years, which is how he can play so good. I don't know. It looks like he enjoys it. I don't think he was a sort of. I don't know. Because isn't there that thing that um, a lot of American drummers who are really, really good started through the marching band tradition? So they're all their snare works kind of really good uh, and all that stuff. So maybe that's I where mean, he got into it. Stunning. It's absolutely phenomenal. I've never seen anything like it. Well, they really Sorry. could do was sitting in front of a video game for a little bit and then like, <laughs> calm it down. <laughs> but this sort of threw up a kind of slightly wider question, which was, I remember when this sort of thing was okay, you know, you know, there would be like a, a virtuoso musician was someone who was actually kind of quite um, held in high esteem and, you know, considered to be sort of good and something kind of quite impressive about them but now it's kind of a, seems to be a sign of kind of an overdeveloped ego almost it's kind of weird that that it's not fashionable to kind of be that sort of good and be able to kind of play a solo that will get people clapping and what have you it just seems to kind of maybe in a live scenario it doesn't seem to translate to music anymore well, recorded music so much not necessarily i think in bluegrass for instance is that mandolin player young mandolin player, he's not so young now called chris Thiele. And he is—he was a young prodigy who could play ridiculously technical stuff when he was eight and won all the competitions. And I think he's about twenty-five now, but he's a really mature and amazing musician. And and people like that kind of thing, I think, in the bluegrass world. And they do a lot in folk music. And I think in rock in rock music, it's out of fashion a bit and everything, but heavy metal, mm. whatever people. Well, there's call sort of shred- there's the sort of shredding aspect to it. I mean, that mm. still seems to be alive and well, but it's sort of almost like you know, to be an amazing guitarist, you have to be just a really good rhythm guitarist, don't you? Yeah. So, who can play a nice arpeggio? I, yeah. I think that is just rock music, though, where it's unfa- where we're so worried about. Do you think fashion? maybe it's just that jazz funk's gone out of fashion, and that was where all of these people used to sort of hang out in their little in their little herds? Well, fusion was the culprit, wasn't it? Really? Yes, I, mean, I suppose. All the drum clinics were kind of fusion drummers, and God, I waded through plenty of those and i mean most of them you know it was 40 minutes on how he used hickory tapered sticks and all the rest of it <laughs> followed by these incredible polyrhythms that had most people well half the audience aghast and the other half yawning but why is it only drummers do this because it was drum dvds for drummers was first wasn't it yeah mm. and, dave weckle and, and, and drummers all like to talk about drums and cymbals and go to clinics and see people do really fancy stuff in a way that no, no other I, musician I, I think do. I know why it is, because there's only ever one drummer in a band, so they never get to talk to anybody about playing the drums, <laughs> unless, they, unless they're actually kind of, you know... Well, I disagree, on. actually. I think all the drummers I know just like to drink loads of beer, fall over, and <laughs> what they like talking about is baby oil and breasts. <laughs> yeah but that's isn't isn't that just because they've got that because they they can't sort of feed their need to talk about you know hickory ticked steps and tip sticks and stuff like that and paradiddle techniques and what have you because i mean i guess you know to to play that well you have to be quite disciplined you have to practice a hell of a lot i would imagine it's very well there's an analogy with the Wii here right so in Wii sports there's a boxing thing and you do this i think it might even be on the Wii fit and you do this kind of left right left left right left right right and we're mucking about with it the other day and i went that's a paradiddle <laughs> <laughs> well there is a link shame it didn't come at the other end because then i could have put this in oh never mind ah. so um Tony Royston. Uh, there is a kid, because um, when we watched this, uh, um, Andy was in the office and he said, oh yeah, I think I saw that kid at, um, at NAM." because there's also a kid, he's about eight or nine, who plays ridiculous kind of solos and just sort of mad drums at, at NAM, and you see him kind of on various, various kits, and I thought it was him before I realised that this was an old video. So I don't know who that guy is, but um, there's obviously a few of them about. And I think Tony Royston basically makes all his money doing kind of drum solos all over the world. I, I found loads of YouTube videos of him sort of performing in Japan and all this other stuff, you know. And it's quite he's, – he's constructed these amazing solos where there's bits where the audience clap along. And, you know, it's kind of – he's obviously got it down to a fine art. What about this um, this two-year-old you sent us? Yes. Then? Well, let's have a quick look at him. Let me just find him a minute. Um Right, this is this is on the same subject. This guy called Segan Max, who is, I think he's three. Yeah. 
So that's him sitting on um, on the drummer's knee, who's playing the bass drum, and he's just playing everything else along with uh, this band called uh, what were they called? Uh, oh, abandon, abandon. That was it. Thank you. And he's he. he I, I went to the website, and he's uh, he's not just any ordinary baby boy, born with a special gift from God. They say his metronome, built-in metronome, was realized recognized by his parents when he was six months of age. He could sit upright and look at the ceiling fan and begin to rock back and forth. Doesn't sound too good, that does it? Um, it took him a while to understand that he was rocking into the repetitions of the fan blades. When music was on, he would he would rock to the beat of the music and more forcefully during the heavy parts and slow softer during the slow parts, exhibiting a grasp of dynamics. As he went on, he began to vocalize the beat with his mouth, kind of like beatboxing then he gave his first jaw-dropping public performance uh with the drum on the on the drums as you heard there and that was his birthday his third birthday so um do you think we've got we've seen maybe another tony royston there because that is unusual to have kids i mean i'm always impressed when my daughter claps in time and she's you know only four and a half but quite seriously that sounds like he's autistic isn't i mean that's the kind of thing that happens with autism isn't it where you have strange things hardwired that you normally wouldn't. That's right. Where, you know where people, autistic children, can remember exactly the skyline of London and draw it and this kind of thing. Right. Oh, okay. But I think he's right. I think that it. I mean, I watched that earlier on, and I thought that does look like an element of autism in there, like special interests, and that is kind of a fairly unusual ability for a three-year-old. Yeah. Well, I wonder whether the, I wonder whether everybody is to a certain extent. Or everybody like us, you mean? <laughs> <laughs> Very good, though. He's going to be a great drummer. I was stunned. It was that bit where he drops the stick, and his dad or whatever picks it up and hands it to him, and he comes in with that little break. He wasn't too busy either, was he? That was the good thing. Mm. <laughs> and that's the key. If he doesn't get too technical, he could be a real in-the-pocket drummer, couldn't he? Yeah, well, That's good luck to him. That's very true, actually. That's good. Well, yeah, you know, good luck to him. The only disconcerting thing is he's not wearing any ear protection. Yes, I did not see sure that. I'd and have I, my I, three-year-old around that level no, of noise. I couldn't tell actually. Else. They did say they did say in the text that he with head that he has got headphones. So maybe oh, we couldn't oh, see them in the YouTube, so I do yeah. hope so. Well, anyway, so that's that's our kind of drum section. So um, Beej, who is a regular commenter, thank you very much, Beej, for passing that on. This is another contribution from a regular um, commenter. Uh, it's Mark JX3P, which was all these kind of... It's a brilliant website, isn't it? I'm going to have to play some. Hold on, because I, I, I found some, some fabulous ones. Let's just see. Uh, first one here. Oh, dear. I'm really on fire today. Can you tell... <laughs> Lucky man, that was Keith Emerson there, um, which was the the classic portamento sawtooth moog solo. Is that what apparently what it is? Mm-hmm. Tri wave didn't really kind of move me very much, but when, you know some of these are just just uh, amazing. This one I didn't know. This is great. I didn't know that this one was actually um, a Korg MS twenty. That is so good, isn't it? That's yeah, the, I love uh, that record. That's flat beats. Um, I, I, if you're not in the UK, you might not have been treated to that. What was that an ad for? Because it had a little puppet and it was an advert for Levi's. something. Levi's. Yeah, was Levi's. It, Levi's? Yeah. it was a Levi's. Maybe it was all over the world. And he, he was the nodding puppet and that was the music. Um, and that guy had that weird beaten up car and then those absolutely perfectly pressed trousers in the back, didn't they? Oh, that's right. It was the Stay Press, Levi's stuff, wasn't it? Yeah. That's right. And there's just tons of them. This is great. It's on synthmania.com. Basically, there's just a whole list of sounds that are sort of considered to be classic or derivative of their, their, their type. One of my favourites, I've just got to play this because um, this, it, it's, it, makes, it almost makes my teeth go on edge. Let me just see. Oh. The DX7 there. The classic DX7 electric piano. I feel like I should say something. You know, I feel like a, a, a romantic voiceover is uh, about to happen. Only, perhaps not. So, yeah, that was the DX7. There's just tons of this stuff. Um, any favourites there for anybody? I found out something quite interesting. So I sent this to Chris, and he said, the orchestral hits on Owner of a Lonely Heart. Oh, yeah, yeah, I had to play that part on the Yes Tour. 
because of their tech buggered off. And Chris has got very little timing at all. <laughs> so I'm sure that went, round, went down very well. In fact, it might have contributed it to being known amongst the crew as some owner of a horse and cart. <laughs> <laughs> well, he had to trigger those kind of stat. Those, I missed that. That was in this. It's a fairly long and extensive list. Yeah, it's the. Uh, well, I think it comes. Was that from the standard Fairlight one? Was that the what it came from? That uh, it says brilliant idea. The first time they were used by Art of Noise or Malcolm McLaren, we forget. Uh, yeah, but I think it was a Fairlight one, or might have been an emulator. It's just below the uh, sledgehammer, bamboo flute sound. Just a minute, I think I can help you there. <laughs> Apparently, that was an emulator too, hmm. according to his notes. Is that right, Rich? Well, it was, I th- it was just one of the factory sounds, I think. It is a factory sound, yeah. Right. And, yeah, and it was an emulator too, and it got used on lots of things, not just on Sledgehammer, I yeah. think, as I remember. And um, did we find the... Lo- oh, yes, of course. And, and Rich also mentioned... What was yours? Oh. 808 State. That's the loon sound. That, but that was on the 626, TR-626, you said? I think in the 727. 727. I think. Hush my mouth. <laughs> it was close. Fact, fans. <laughs> but there's tons of it, and I, I could barely stop myself. And the, the other one, the loads of D50 sounds in there. Here's a, um, uh, the D50 soundtrack, which... Um it was kind of a fifth, wasn't it? It was like fifth mm. big floaty pad, and I, I used to use that a lot gated as well, you know, except I didn't have it off, off um, the D50. I used it off the D110 because the D110 had quite a lot of the similar or attempts of uh, D50 sounds. A great underrated modular. I've have still you, got it. Have you looked at this website, Dave? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there a lot of your work on there, and it makes your blood boil thinking about the amount of money people have made out of my work? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think the most interesting thing is that um, Eric Persing gets huge amount of sounds on here isn't he I, th- I know as well that he was responsible for the hoover sound you know that kind of techno hoover sound yeah that one but i mean his d50 work amazing absolutely amazing i mean i, I think the d50 is a hugely underrated keyboard even you know for now well you just got one didn't you yes d550 and it- we did you see that video we on sonic tv um I, it was um I forget the name of the chap now. I'll, I'll look it up in the show notes. But he posted a sort of... He just bought a, a D50 and a 550, and he was showing all the presets that had been used in Jean-Michel Jarre tracks, and they were just totally unedited. It was like, call them up, play them again. This is from that track in, on Zulook or whatever. Here it is. And it was just like, God, it's all there. But it, mm. it sounded absolutely brilliant. And not in part due to the fact that, of course, we offer stereo sounds on the uh, video uploads, and you kind of get the full stereosity of the <laughs> D50 and that. But... I thought the D the D every time I hear the D fifty I think, oh that sounds really good, doesn't it? The thing about the D fifty was that people had to make an effort with it, didn't they? I mean, it wasn't just a kind of a ROM player. There was a very limited amount of samples in it, and then you'd got the waveforms to try and sort of make something of. So it it made you, or it made me a lot more creative at generating synthesizer sounds to use in things than I would be with one of the more modern things, because the more modern things, you just, I don't know, any of the stuff in Logic, you just sort of sample something and throw it in and you've got unlimited time. And it doesn't really make you stop and think and go back and try and create anything differently. I, I did try and get into the D. I think I got some gigs where I was in the studio and asked to kind of, can you program up or change the sound in the D50? And I, I do remember spending quite a long time not achieving my brief with it. Was the, it? the only thing it didn't have that I wanted it to have was a resonant filter. On the sample playback section, I think. D50 fan, Rich? Well, it was. It had its, had its, it had its uses. And like in, it, was like, it was broad strokes. And I remember in the studio once, um, Brian Eno saying he, it was, the D50 was like using a big, big painting brush and the, and the DX7 was like using a fine pencil. <laughs> <laughs> I think the DX7's more like using a blunt pencil, personally. <laughs> Ah, well, you've got to get right in there. I've but, been right in there. <laughs> there's some great, there is, hours, some, there is some great stuff in there, though, isn't there? I, I just, you could just, I, I think I'm going to have to peruse this longer. I mean, it's a very long page. There's just tons and tons. There's not actually examples of all of it, but there's quite a lot of examples. And that's uh, on synthmania.com. And I'll put the link to that in the show notes. Anybody got anything to add? Were there any favourites from you, Dave? Uh, no, it was all good for me. All of it. 
apart from the M1 piano. Oh, oh no <laughs> way a minute. I based my entire career on the M1 piano. <laughs> <laughs> Which is entirely why I said it. Um, House... Yes, it really was, wasn't it? It was like anybody who turned up with an M1 with a piano sound was just like, no, sorry, gone. Well, I mean, you only, the only other way to ever use it was playing um, triads at full velocity with all the filter taken <laughs> off it. So, yeah. you know, it was just, you know, it was that ding, 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 you know, just sort of bog standard. But that's the way it works. You know, it's like, you know, the, the sound of the moment. In fact, that's, that's kind of weird now. Well, because I thought the, the sound of the moment was more the SQ80 piano, personally, but then maybe I was in the acid end of house. Maybe so. I, d- I d- never had one of those, so I know it that well. But the realism of the M1. <laughs> uh, can't be beaten. We've got a lot to learn, haven't At we? the time. You know, you have to put the caveat in. So yeah, famous sounds. Thanks very much, Mark Jakes, 3P, for that. Can and, I say uh, mine? Oh yeah, sorry, Mark. God. I like the um, the DMX drum machine. That's still my favourite, one of my favourite sounds, which is the Blue Monday drum pattern, according to this site. Ah, of course. Yeah, no, it does sound lovely, doesn't it? It's got a doof to it that we just... But can't... also, um, uh, Herbie Hancock's Rocket is on here as well, but I'm pretty sure that's also a DMX, but that's not the sound they're talking about on there. But... Right, okay. The other one that cracked me up was the uh, Lately bass. Oh, yeah, I've got that. Hold on, hold on. That was on everything, wasn't it? That was Betty Boo. That was just every... Re- well, I mean, I, I think I sampled it, but it was never quite the same as a sample. The S900 yeah. just couldn't cope with <laughs> with the bottom end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, very true. No, well, sure, Shortly that, after that, it became the M1 pick bass, didn't it? That was the other one afterwards. Oh, yeah, God. The M1 really was the machine to have in 1990. Yeah, for the finger clicks alone. <laughs> and the pole. <laughs> Ah, yes, yes. Oh. Actually, I was quite impressed with the, what was it, the heaven sound or something, wasn't it? You mean this That's one? That's on here somewhere. Was it that one you were referring to? God, that, <laughs> reminds, me of, that reminds me of some cheesy self-help uh, hypnosis record or something. <laughs> yeah, give up smoking. <laughs> yes. yes, exactly. Or be more positive. Stop using an M1. <laughs> <laughs> Superb. I suppose this sort of dovetails quite neat, neatly into this kind of green technology thing, which was I've been noticing quite a lot that um, there, there, there was a thing on Newsnight, a thing on News 24, these kind of reports saying that there seems to be a movement of people sort of realising that they're just buying stuff and not using it and throwing it away and getting another one. And, and this sort of they're, they're talking about there seems to be a kind of social awareness of all the stuff that we use. And uh, so I thought, you know, I kind of try and twist that a little bit into into some kind of sonic talk type topic um, without getting too environmental, but thinking in terms of um, what piece of technology have you had that you used for the lo- longest time or still use, in fact? Well, the oldest piece of equipment I use, I think, is my old Telefunken V76 mic amps, but, but I haven't had them for that. I've only had them for like three or four years. But they've been around for a while. They've been around a, lot, a long time. And, and I and these days what I try to do is limit myself to not have very many things, not much gear, and try to use it quite well. And so that means I'm tending to stick with things a lot longer and, and not buy lots of modern doodads very often. But I think the long, the thing I've had the longest technology was the Wasp that my dad bought me when I was about 14 or something like that. I'm just trying to think. I mean, I don't think I've got anything that isn't more than about three or four years old. I've got, I've re-bought some of the things I bought when I first started making music, but do they count if they're well, not Well, I know, the why not? One? The thing that I still use, which which was kind of one of my signature sounds when I first started sampling, is a Powertran MCS-1, which is a rack, 2U rack-mounted Powertran digital delay with uh, MIDI triggers on it. And the other thing that I still use is a Yamaha R1000 Reverb. I remember that. Is that the little half-rack thing? No, it's a full rack, but it's got a parametric EQ on the reverb itself. So, and but not on the source, I don't think. So oh, okay. you plug your um, you know, I feed kick drum straight into it, and then mess around with the parametric so that I actually uh, get the reverb to sort of blend around the sound of the kick. Hmm. And it, you can get some fantastic sort of drum 
reverbs from it. It's good on toms as well. Oh, okay. Not gated ones, though. I don't gate them. I leave it all big and open. Big and natural. Makes big, these big, big naturals. Kind of expl- makes them like big kind of booming explosions, the bass drums. I used to use it on... If anybody ever saw Adamski live, I used to use it on for the live sound, and I'd just crank like a sort of a 180-degree handful of... Uh, send straight into this thing off the 909 kick drum and and I'd have the EQ all set on it so that it was a, you know, boosting 50 to 100 hertz (laughs) and it would just go That's when the the crowd roar would come up you used to do those in house, in in sort of house drop down sections where you just kind of drop the drums just hit a booming bass drum and fade up the crowd sample And have some I sort didn't of... have a crowd so I just, no, you didn't it need just one. made you this had the crowd there. explosion that frightened the living daylights out of everyone. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. Um Dave, what about you? Uh blimey. I'm looking around the room. This is stuff that's plumbed in and gets used on a regular basis. OB eight, expander, Minimoog, Odyssey, Oscar. Although I think the thing that's had the most use, because it's still my master keyboard, is the JD eight hundred. Okay. So we're so we're talking 70s and 80s, folks. Oh, that's pretty good going. Your green credentials are outstanding. I mm. think that, I, I'm rather sadly, the only thing that I can think of is pro- either the mic that Rich is using, which is a beaten up old SM58, which I've had for 20 years, must be. I do disinfect it regularly. <laughs> and possibly these headphones, which I've probably had for about 10 years. And that's rubbish, isn't it? Oh, I know what I've got. I've got a Scott Brynan Fuzzbox. From 1978. Oh, well, that's pretty uh, good. And what? That I went to school with Scott Brynan, and he made fuzz boxes and treble boosters, <laughs> hey! and he used to sell them to us Brilliant. at school. And I got in contact with him through Friends Reunited probably about eight years ago, and I was talking to him about these, and he said, oh, I've got one in my loft. You can have it if you want. So, and he lives in Canada now, and he sent it over from Canada. Oh, fantastic. So I've got one of those. Well, it's. I think it's a good point. I suppose software is a good way of being green or as long as you don't have too many air box packaging kind of ideas with you know with it as long as the box isn't too big and full of air but that, that's probably quite green isn't it using software hmm, well yes. that's interesting because what you're actually saying is that piracy is green no i wasn't if you are you're I saying know. if you pirate software that it's it uses less packaging and it's more green it's better it's more environmentally friendly to i think perhaps you're putting words it. into my mouth mark <laughs> i think i'm just saying if you don't have a big box is anybody using a piece of software that they've been using for more than 10 years not an upgrade just the original like that's the piece of software and exactly the same not not upgraded or updated i must have been using when when i had the atari i must have been using the steinberg um you know cubase must have been using that for at least five years, I would yeah, think. that's true. Yeah. And some yeah. people I know who still actually use um, Cubase on the Atari, you know, just because that's the way they like to work. <laughs> but I don't think I could cope with, you know, the, the worry that, well, A, saving things on floppy disks. Oh, God. I mean, could you? Could you? Can you cope with working with floppy disks now? Can you remember? You know, and sometimes you do it and you think, oh, I think I might just be able to fit this song in there. You wait 10 minutes and then it would go, sorry, disk's full. So you'd have to go and find another disk, you know, check to see if there was anything on it that you couldn't overwrite. Squeeze the next version of whatever it was you're working on there if you didn't have lots of disks. I became a floppy disk dealer. That's how I, <laughs> that's how I got over mine. I had tons of the stuff, you know. <laughs> I've still kept mine. Oh, God. But I, I, one thing that I would say, I was out when I was out at Real World yesterday, looking at the writing room, Peter's writing room. They had an Apple fourteen hundred C Mac laptop, mm. which has got to be ten years old, and that's running OS nine and a piece of software called Super Collider, which is kind of like a granular synth thing. I don't know much more about it, but um, yeah, I know what that is. Played with that quite a lot, Super Collider. Oh, there we go. I thought there was a Java version of it. Really? There's definitely an OSX version of it as well. Because I've played with it on this computer, I think. Isn't Super Collider um, that particle accelerator in, in, in Switzerland that they're just about to switch on? And they're not, we don't know whether or not, they you know, everybody's sort of going, so you've never done it before, and it's going, was it 10, 20 kilometres of particle no, acceleration? they're going to make black holes with it. And, and, they, and everybody's sort of going, actually, are you sure this is a good idea? <laughs> And they go, no, it'll be fine. (laughs) But we don't know, do we? It's not that, anyway. It's not the software version of that. But that's just an aside there. Um, 
Uh, green technology. There we go. That's our contribution to the environment. And of course, um, we are working remotely, which is fairly green, isn't it? Apart from Rich, who's here. But I know Rich cycled or something. I did walk here. He walked here. So that's good. But it is an issue, isn't it, with computers and stuff? I mean, this constant update, update, update. It is becoming a bit of a pain in the butt. Why do you need to upgrade? And at what point do you think I really must? You know, because, I mean, I think the last time I upgraded my computer was um, because I wanted Intel processing. That was the only reason I needed it. And I don't have a desktop. I run everything. You know, my laptop is my my whole thing. You know, I don't do that. I don't have a a desktop Mac. Anyway, we've got a desktop machine here for video processing. But my my personal work machine, I don't feel the need to upgrade. I mean, I wouldn't mind a 17-inch because, you know, my eyes are getting weak and dim and I can make the fonts bigger. (laughs) But, (laughs) But I don't need it. But there used to be skips all around London, weren't there, where it, when you finished with a computer, you'd place carefully your computer in the skip and then it would be on the internet where the location was and then anybody could go and help themselves. To, to, I don't know whether that's... I mean, the thing I've been doing a lot recently is FreeCycle, which is really, really brilliant. Mm. And there's a website called freecycle.org or something. And is, then that, you have, is that just UK-specific or is that all over the world? Uh, it's global, I think. I'm not 100% sure, but and it's I've like joined a kind of, this. I've, I've got one of these. Does anyone want it? Yeah, I joined the St. Neots one, and I gave, there was one chap on there who said, has anybody got an old alloy? So I gave him a whole load of motorbike wheels, and he cut them all up, and then he said, oh, my son's got a scooter in the back garden. Would you like that? And he actually gave my wife a scooter that she rides to work on. But I've given away, like, shoes and... Um, uh, gave someone an amplifier the other day. Someone gave me a subwoofer for the TV the other day. Great. I've got a question for people who might know about PCs because I'm I've been struggling with this very concept because I have to upgrade my. I'm feeling that I need to upgrade my Pro Tools system at the minute, which is an HD system in an old G5. And in order to be able to upgrade it, I've got to throw away the entirety of my old computer and upgrade the PCI cards to PCIe cards. And this turns out to be a very expensive... It's a really expensive thing. It's almost as much as buying an an entire new system again. And I was wondering whether if I put it in a PC instead of a Macintosh, if there is a big processor upgrade, can I just pull the card out and put another card in? Thus, meaning that I don't have to buy a whole new computer every time there's a necessary hardware upgrade. Is that the way PCs work? Can be, if you get the right machine. I've used Pro Tools on a PC and it works exactly the same. It just looks horrible. What do you mean the, the, the graphics look awful? Well, the win- it's because it's those... It's those clunky square windows and not the nice new rounded <laughs> There's ones. There's no drop shadows. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> With the little X in the corner. I didn't have any traffic lights. I didn't know what, you know. <laughs> um, I don't know. That's a very good question. Someone must know the answer to that. Why do you need to upgrade it then? Well, I normally assume that uh, manufacturers only write the software for the latest technology and and. And it's been a while now that Macintel have been has been the standard. So I'm kind of expecting my system to become broken quite soon or not be looked after in quite the way that uh, I need it to be looked after. I think it's going to be start to become obsolete quite soon. Unsupported. Yes, exactly. Right. I, I, would See, I was really angry when Duran Duran upgraded their OS 9 Pro Tools system, which had all the inputs and outputs that you would ever need and was a perfectly functioning recording studio. They upgraded that to an HD system with version, you know, Mac OS X and everything, and it's never worked properly ever since, whereas we'd got it to be like this perfectly running, stable system, and I was perfectly happy with it, and well, it was I've great never... for programming on, and suddenly they wanted to upgrade and it killed it, and that was that. Well, on, in DigiDesign's uh, defense at that point, I've had exactly the opposite experience where I found that the HD on, an, on OS X always worked much better than... Parallel systems, that's it. That's the answer, definitely. Yeah, parallel systems, definitely. Keep them both. Well, no, but, I mean, you literally just get one. I'm doing pretty much the same with Underworld at the minute. It's just like, you know, that's we know that that live system works, um, mostly, um, so if you're going to build another system, you, you build it, in, you know, separately and wait until you've got all the teething troubles out of the way and then substitute that for the existing system. But it's not always, well, it's not affordable, is it? 
And it's not very green. No. Exactly. This is part of my problem. I don't want to throw away a whole G5 computer just because I want a Mac why do you, chip Why would it. you need to throw it away? What would you... Well, I, this, I've, I normally upgrade computers every three years, and, and the old ones just sit in the back of the room until I forget why it's there, and then I throw it in a skip down at the city dump. I'll have it. Yep. <laughs> we, can run a ser- we can run a server on it. Free cycle. Put it on free cycle. There was a great one where um, they, they was actively encouraging people to give their old computers to schools and stuff, particularly in Africa and places like that. And I actually went on this website, I forget what it was called, and asked if anyone wanted my old G4. And everybody went, no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, never mind. Someone will love it one day. Okay, um, well, I think we, um, let me see, I don't know how long we've been going, quite, quite some time now. Does anyone want to do Sharpies quickly? Because that's quite a... F- how weird was that? Sharpies is such an on-tour thing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And whenever I say Sharpie to anyone, they go, what? What's that? Just a rich. David Beckham, have you not seen on TV, basically, on telly, David Beckham is in an ad for Sharpie pens. What's the connection? I couldn't believe it. Well, because I thought only people like us knew about Sharpies. I didn't realise they were going to be, the, the wider world would be exposed to the special secret of special pens. I didn't think there was, you know... It just seems like such a weird, you know, I mean, it must have cost an absolute mint to, to advertise felt-tip pens. I mean, what, what's going on? He's got it hanging from his mirror, hasn't he? It's like, Sharpie. <laughs> For cool people, I reckon he sniffs it. <laughs> Allegedly. Yes. Anyway, Sharpie pens, yeah. So David Beckham, there he is. In fact, look, look you've got to go, but I'll just quickly play this jingle out because it's, it's not, it's not going to take long. There's a voiceover at the end. David Beckham's got his. Have you got yours? <laughs> Sharpie permanent markers right on just about anything. Sharpie, right out loud. There you go. Wow. Do you think they got a load of VC in and some new CEO in the company decided that it was going to go global? So they got David Beckham in. It's kind of, it just sort of seems like getting Madonna to advertise Plectrum or something. Do you know, or, 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 you know, Prit. <laughs> it just seems like a really sort of weird pairing. I mean, it's very well done, and you kind of the whole thing is is he's signing his name all the time on these things, and he keeps looking at the pen, going, oh, "It's nice." And that's the thing about sharpies; they are nice, and they're very pleasing to write with. <laughs> and I'm obviously angling. There was, look, they're spending a lot of money on advertising. I'm angling to get some. All right, that's it. <laughs> oh, can I have one as well? Yeah. <laughs> so I, send I us didn't the know they did so many colours either. Amazing, isn't it? Okay. Well, on that sort of um, on that rather. Um, <laughs> Smelly note. We shall leave this week's podcast. Sonic Talk numbers 92. Thank you very much, Mr. Richard Evans, for joining me in the studio. Yeah, it's very nice to be here, Nick. You're welcome. And uh, also, Mr. Mark Tinley. Mark Tinley, of course, myspace.com forward slash Mark Tinley. Thank you for joining us too. God, I completely forgot to tell you about my new motorbike. Oh, look, we'll have to wait next time because Richard's got to go. I'll tell you next week. Ne- yeah. Tell me next week. And uh, Mr. Dave Spears from g4software.com. Thank you. Thank you. So yeah, Sonic Talk number 92 has gone to bed. And remember, guys, um, if you want to leave comments or anything, if anyone wants to leave comments on the show, um, we have a little space underneath every every podcast where you can just write your words. And we do read it and we do post there. So um, just keep them coming. Sonic State. Sonic.